great to see you this morning. Do you have your Bible with you today? Good. You need to turn to Romans chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, please grab one from the pew rack right in front of you so that you can follow along. If you don't have a Bible at all, take that one home as our gift to you. We want you to have God's Word. We want you to read God's Word. We want you to know God's Word. Um, it is, as Laura said, bread uh, that we live on. Not cake that we eat at special occasions, but bread that we live on when we need it. Last week, in our study of Romans, we moved on to a new part of Paul's argument about Israel and about the faithfulness of God. The last few weeks have been answering the question of whether God has rejected his people. Paul has been saying up to this point, no, he hasn't rejected his people, at least not fully. He is saving some. He is keeping for himself a remnant from the descendants of Abraham. Even now, he is doing that. Last week, he shifted gears a little bit, and he began to say, no, God has not rejected his people, not fully like we'd been talking about, but also not finally. There is something great in the future. There is something big coming in the future for the children of Israel. And we are going to see a little bit of that, a glimpse into it this week and even more clarity on it next week. Last week, uh, our applications were these. Number one, God works in some interesting ways. In ways that we would not expect so that he gets glory in it all, he works in interesting ways. He uses the rejection of the Jews and their refusal to trust in Christ for salvation to open the door for the Gentiles. Then he uses the inclusion of those Gentiles to provoke the Jews to jealousy and to bring them to faith in Christ. And then he uses their restoration, the Jewish restoration, to bless the Gentiles in a way that they have never been blessed before. And that is coming one day in the future, and we long for that day. So God works in some interesting ways, and we see it all around us. Secondly, God works for the salvation of the world. He is not about local redemption. It's not as if God looks down and says, I want to save that people right there in that one particular place who can trace their lineage back to Abraham. He doesn't have a plan of local redemption. God has a plan of global redemption. Men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation being brought before the throne and singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain, right? We sing hallelujah. The lamb has overcome, right? One day we will do that together with men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. God has a plan of global redemption that includes even people like you and like me. There is hope for all kinds of folks. So God works in interesting ways. God works for the salvation of the world. And when we put those together, we see that God works through us for the salvation of the world. This is the most interesting, that in his global plan of redemption, he has included us in the process to live in such a way that people around us would be provoked to jealousy. That they would look at the way we live and say, I want that. I want that kind of peace. I want that kind of hope. I want that kind of calmness. I want that kind of love. I want that kind of community. I want that kind of fellowship with God and fellowship with other people. What they have is what I want. We should live in such a way that people would be provoked to jealousy. And we should preach in such a way that they will hear clearly about Jesus on the cross dying for sinners. Jesus laid in a tomb and Jesus raised the third day victorious over sin and death and hell. Jesus saving by grace alone, through faith alone, right? We want to live in such a way that they'll be provoked to jealousy, and we want to preach in such a way that they will hear clearly the message of the gospel, right? Well, this week, uh, Paul is going to use an illustration um, to drive all of this home. Really, it's not a new thing that we'll see in the text today. It's an illustration of what we talked about last week, and he'll use this illustration to, number one, warn the Gentile believers 
against becoming arrogant against Jewish people. And he will use that same illustration to speak a word of promise or a word of hope to the children of Abraham. So this illustration that he's going to use is about grafting of limbs into trees. And so before we dive into the text, I feel like it's important that I explain as best I can. I don't have a degree in horticulture. I'm not an arborist. Uh, I have a degree in the Bible. Uh, (laughs) And I've never grafted a limb onto a tree, but I've read a thing or two about this. And so what Paul is going to use today is this image uh, of, of having a tree that is growing and has a good root system and then coming in and cutting off a limb from that tree and then going over to another tree and cutting a limb off of that tree and then taking that limb over to the original tree and putting this new limb in the place of the old limb. All right, imagine, and this happens, people do this. Imagine if I had an apple tree. Uh, I had an apple tree that was uh, Granny Smith apple tree. Right? You can't do this with, with just any kind of tree, but if the trees are similar, you can do this. So uh, say I have an apple tree that is a Granny Smith apple tree, and I go over to a tree, an apple tree that grows Golden Delicious apples, and I cut a limb off of that Golden Delicious tree, and I go over here, and I cut a limb off of this tree. I can then take that tree, as long as I cut it right, I'm, I'll try to use an illustration here. On the original limb, I would need to cut kind of a V-shape in it, cut this old limb off like this, And then I need to cut the corresponding other limb off and then fit it in like that. Does that make sense? And then what I would do is I would melt some wax all around this so it was all sealed up tight. And then I would put some special tape around it so it was bound together really tightly. And then what would happen over time is that golden delicious limb, that branch from the golden delicious tree, would begin to feed off of the Granny Smith root. It would still grow golden delicious apples but it would be in the Granny Smith tree. Does that make sense? Imagine how awesome that would be to have a tree that grew every kind of apple. I'm going to do this one day. One of these days I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to say, when I preach Romans chapter 11, I'm going to say, just come to my house, and I'll show you how this works. But we have one apple tree at our house that grows zero apples. (laughs) So I don't know that there's a lot of hope for me in this. But you get the picture? You get the picture of what's going on. You take a limb from another tree, you graft it into the uh, original tree, and then that limb grows from the roots, is fed by the roots of the original tree. That's the picture that Paul is getting at here. And there are some people who criticize Paul when he talks about this because what he's going to say is, I've got a cultivated olive tree that that grows these dynamite olives that are good uh, to press for oil, and I've got this cultivated farm tree that's growing, and then he's going to say, what I'm going to do, what God is doing, is he's going out to the wild olive tree that doesn't really grow any good olives. It just grows and it doesn't really do much, and I'm going to cut a limb off of that wild olive tree, and then I'm going to come over here and I'm going to cut some limbs off of the original cultivated olive tree, and I'm going to put the wild tree onto the cultivated tree. Uh, There aren't many farmers that would do that. There aren't many olive farmers that would do something like that, and so a lot of people say, Oh, Paul, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, Paul, you're just a city boy who doesn't know a thing about trees. That may be true. But he's not trying to teach us a lesson about trees today, right? He's trying to teach us a lesson about God. He's making a theological point, not a horticultural point. And we want to see that theological point, so we pray that God will open our eyes to it. Okay, so that's about grafting. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 11 so that you get the picture 
And then we'll see in verse 17 the illustration of the truth that Paul is laying out. Chapter 11, verse 11 says, I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the first piece of the dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. And here we go. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them, and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant... Remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, severity. But to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Let's pray together. God, I pray that, that you would open our ears today to hear this warning. This warning against arrogance, conceit, boasting. I pray that you will remind us that it is not we who support the root, but rather the root supports us. God, I pray that you will teach us to love the descendants of Abraham pray that you will teach us to pray for this day when they would not continue in their unbelief but believe and be grafted in to the family of God once again. God, I pray that today you'll open our eyes to see that we are part of this tree by faith alone. I pray that you open our eyes to see the importance of continuing in that faith, that faith and repentance are postures that we live in, not moments that we experience. God, I pray that you open our eyes to see that today. And God, I thank you for the great promise that if we have been grafted in contrary to nature, how much easier it is for them to be grafted in again. God, we pray that you'll bring that about, that you will open the eyes of the descendants of Abraham to the glory of the cross of Christ that they would repent of sin and trust in Jesus to save them, that they would once again, once again be part of the covenant people of God. And I pray that you would do this not for their sake primarily, but for your own glory, that you would receive praise that you are due. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, you see how that picture worked? 
It's an apple tree, it's not an apple tree, it's an olive tree. And Paul's going to use this illustration to make his point. Look at verse uh, 17. It says, but if some of the branches were broken off. In this illustration, this is Paul's way of describing the stumbling, the rejection, the transgression of the Jews. That they have refused to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have pursued a right standing with God by works rather than by faith. And therefore, they have been cut off. Some of the branches were broken off. I want you to notice that he uses the word some here. He doesn't say all of the branches were broken off. He says some of the branches were broken off, not all of them. God is keeping a remnant, even now, for himself, from among the Israelites. This is Paul's way of making the point in a picture that he has already made in the text. If some of the branches were broken off. That's the first part. Second part says, and you... He's talking to Gentiles in Rome, Christians who are from a Gentile background who live in Rome, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them in the rich root of the olive tree. In the illustration, this is Paul's way of describing the salvation that has come to the Gentiles, their inclusion in the family of God. Remember how he said it last week? He said, through their transgression, you were welcomed in. Remember that? Because they rejected the gospel, the door was open for you Gentiles. This is the way he describes that in the illustration. I want you to notice in this text that those wild branches were grafted into the one tree. It's not as if there are a bunch of different trees, but these wild branches were grafted into the one tree. And they dwell amongst some other branches from that original tree. This is the picture of the multicultural church. This is the picture of the multicultural church in Rome. That there are indeed some believers in Jesus Christ in Rome who trace their lineage back to Abraham. They were part of the cultivated olive tree from the beginning and they have not been cut off because they have trusted in Jesus Christ. And now we, who were part of the wild olive tree, the Gentiles, have been grafted into that tree and so we dwell amongst those Jewish believers those Jewish believers in Christ. So the one tree represents the one family of God. It's not as if there's a Jewish tree over here and a Gentile tree over here. There's one tree, there's one people of God, and they come from Jews and Gentiles, blacks and whites, slaves and free men, men and women, rich and poor. Are you with me on this? One tree, one family of God, all feeding from the same root. You catch how he said that? He said, you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. The rich root of the olive tree. Jesus said a similar thing to this in John chapter 10 when he's talking about the good shepherd. I was reminded about this this last night at, at, a, at a great meeting. Um, John chapter 10, verse 14 to 16 says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's a powerful statement right there, isn't it? I lay down my life for the sheep. And then he says this, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also. I believe he's talking there about Gentiles. He's speaking mainly to Jewish people, and he's saying, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep, but I want you to know I've got other sheep that are in a different fold right now. And he says... I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. One flock, one shepherd, one tree, one root, one family of God. That's the way it works. 
not a flock of Gentile believers and a flock of Jewish believers, but one flock that includes men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You get the picture? So he's talking about all this in the form of the illustration of the olive tree. And then he gets to his point. This is the heart of the warning. This is the moral application that Paul has been driving toward when he says, do not be arrogant toward the branches. He says, branches were cut off from the cultivated tree and you wild branches were grafted in. Do not be arrogant, speaking to the Gentiles, the wild olives. He says, do not be arrogant toward the branches. I believe the branches he's referring to here include uh, both Jews who have not believed and have been cut off and Jews who have believed and still remain part of the tree. He is saying to Gentiles, there is no place for you to have some kind of arrogant attitude, attitude toward the descendants of Abraham, whether they believe in Jesus or not. Do not become arrogant toward the branches. The word that's used there about become arrogant, Leon Morris says, the verb means to boast against or exult over. And then he says this, like a gladiator boasting over a defeated foe. Like that should never be the picture of Christians, Gentile Christians in particular, standing over Jewish people, some who have rejected Jesus as the Messiah, and boasting over them as a gladiator would boast over a defeated foe. That just doesn't fit. Leon Morris goes on to say, pride is never in place for the Christian. Pride never fits in the life of a Christian. And if we have this attitude toward these branches, God is saying, stop it. And he's going to go a long way to tell us to stop it. So the heart of the warning to the Gentile believers is, do not be arrogant toward the branches. And then he says this, but if you are arrogant, if you do have this tendency in your heart, and a lot of people do, not just a lot of people did in the first century, but a lot of people in the modern church do have this tendency to look at the children of Abraham and have this disgust and this arrogance toward them, and it doesn't make any sense. He says, but if you are arrogant, remember this, that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. This is more explanation about why we must not be arrogant. This kind of arrogance doesn't make any sense at all. Tim Keller said it this way, it is most inappropriate for the Gentiles to be disrespectful of the Jews. And then he goes on and says, we have a Jewish Bible and a Jewish Messiah. We have a Jewish Bible and a Jewish Messiah. Why would we have such arrogance toward the Jews? It doesn't make any sense at all. When a branch is grafted into a tree, it's not the branch that has the impact on the tree. It's the tree that has the impact on the branch. The branch doesn't have any life in its own. If I cut the branch off from this tree, it's dying, right? If I take the branch from over here and remove it from this tree, it doesn't have any hope on its own. I can't just say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut this branch off and lay it on the ground here, and it's going to live. What's going to happen to that branch if I just lay it on the ground? It's going to die. It's already dead. But the only hope that branch has is if I take it over here and attach it to this tree. And if it's attached to this tree, then it begins to get life from the roots of this tree and begins to feed off the rich root. Isn't that what he said? Feed off the rich root of that cultivated olive tree. So, so Gentile believers, and most of us in this room today are those folks, don't think that you're making a difference in the tree. The tree is making all the difference in you. Don't think that you're supplying the tree. The tree is supplying you. And so how could we possibly be arrogant toward those who supply our very life? The root that we are feeding off of. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. When you get to have that attitude of arrogance and boasting, standing over the descendants of Abraham as a gladiator over his defeated foe, you need to be really careful because that's the moment when God will bring you down. I believe, I believe that God desires us to live humbly. He desires us to be humble people. And I believe if we are not humble, he will, by his grace, humiliate us. For our good, he will humiliate us. So take heed if you think you stand, lest you fall. Because pride comes before the fall. So live with humility, especially especially as we talk about the descendants of Abraham. It doesn't make any sense for us to boast over them. And then he describes it a little more, and he gives us some insight into the mindset behind this kind of arrogant boasting. He says, you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Now you catch that attitude? I am so special. I'm so special and so important to God that what he did was he cut some branches off of the original tree to make room for me. You catch how that attitude could sneak in? God cares so much about us that he was willing to take off some branches so that we could come in. I'm so special that God would remove the Jews to let us in. Look at us. And what Paul says is, it's quite right. That seems like an odd answer to that quotation. It seems like an odd response. He says, quite right. Because part of what he's been teaching us is that this was part of the plan of God. It was, he loved Gentiles so much that he opened the door so that they could come in through the rejection of the people of Israel. So there is a sense in which he said, yeah, I want them in. And the way I'm going to bring them in is to, is to harden, we read in the text a couple weeks ago, harden the rest of Israel so that they might be brought in. So he says, quite right. But just in case you might start boasting when he says that, notice what he does next. It's maybe the most important part of the text. He says, quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. It was their unbelief that brought about the breaking off. The reason why those branches from the original tree were cut off is not just because this was God's plan, but it was because of their unbelief. They rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They rejected a righteous standing before God that comes by faith. They pursued a right standing with God by works. They have not believed in Jesus and, there were, and therefore were broken off. So he says, quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by faith. Two things that I want you to see here that are so important. Number one, we need to clear up that we Gentiles are not replacing Israel in the plan of God. We Gentiles are not replacing Israel in the plan of God. It is true that part of the purpose of the Jews rejecting the gospel was to bring about an open door for Gentiles. But that is not the end of the story for them. Remember, the theme of this section of Romans is that the rejection of Israel is not full and it is not final. So do not think that we Gentiles are replacing Israel in the plan of God. Secondly, we need to see that the issue at stake is faith. The central issue in all of this is faith. They were broken off for their unbelief. They were broken off for their lack of faith. And we are standing, we were grafted in by faith. So the issue that is the practical application of this is about faith. 
seems to be at least a little bit of warning here that will be clear in the next phrase. So look what he says. You'll say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. This Gentile arrogance that looks down on the descendants of Abraham must be replaced with fear. Why? Because the Jews were broken off because of their lack of faith. Right standing with God is found by faith, not by works, not by lineage, whether you are Jewish or Gentile. It's all about faith. So do not be conceited but fear. Because if God didn't spare them when they didn't believe, you think he's going to spare you when you don't believe? If God didn't spare them, if God didn't spare them because of their lack of faith, even though they had all this lineage, do you think he's going to spare you because of your lack of faith, even though you don't have any lineage? You, you catch the point here? It's about faith, and it's about continuing in faith. I think one of the weeks I was gone in Central Asia, Joe talked about this a little bit, about the importance of continuing in the faith, about the perseverance of the saints. In other words, faith that saves is not a one-time event. Faith that saves is not a momentary experience. Faith that saves is a posture and a lifestyle of trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation. Like when I want to think about my faith, I need to think about my faith today. I don't just need to go back to when I was a little boy and trusted in Jesus. The question is not, have you trusted in Jesus? The question is, are you trusting in Jesus? Are you trusting in Jesus today? Because if he didn't spare Abraham's descendants when they did not believe, do you think, really, that he will spare you, Gentiles, when you do not believe? The issue at stake is faith. And look what he says next. It just keeps getting stronger. He says, behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, how did they fall? By lack of faith, right? To those who fell, severity. But to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, how do you continue in his kindness? Through faith, right? Through faith you can continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. So Paul says, think about his character. Think about the character of God. R.C. Sproul, a great preacher, says it this way. We are to think about the goodness of God. It is incredible and awesome goodness. Yet while we are doing that, we are also to consider the severity of God. Our God is an all-consuming fire. And when his judgment comes, when it falls upon wicked people, the judgment is severe. We, we don't do a good job of beholding the kindness and severity of God. We are like experts at the kindness of God, right? Behold the kindness of our God. Talk about his grace, talk about his love, talk about his forgiveness, talk about his mercy, talk about his kindness all day long, write a million songs about it. And the sad truth is, many of us are practically unaware of his severity, practically unaware of his wrath, practically unaware of his judgment, practically unaware of his anger. In fact, there may be some of you today that are saying, God doesn't get angry. Read the Bible. God does get angry and has every right to be angry. And it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And if it weren't for his grace, that's all we would know. If it weren't for his grace, all we would know 
It's about his anger. So Paul says, behold, the kindness and severity of God and react to this. Kindness. Kindness for you who continue in his kindness. Kindness for you who are grafted in by faith. Kindness for you who continue in the faith. And severity. Severity for those who do not believe. Severity for those who continue in unbelief. So here's the summary. John Stott says it this way. The warning for Gentile Christians is clear. First, listen to this, because most of you are Gentile Christians. First, you must remember that your dependence on the root is total. For branches have no life in themselves. You remember that your dependence on the root is total because branches have no life in themselves. Second, you must reflect that your stability is due to faith alone. You must live in such a way that it's clear that your position in the tree is by faith alone. It is not because of your ancestry. It is not because of your works. It is not because of your worth. It is by grace through faith alone. Third, do not be arrogant but afraid. In the healthiest possible way that stimulates you to continue in the faith, be afraid and not arrogant. And fourth, you must constantly meditate on the character of God. Constantly meditate on the character of God. That he is kind and severe. That he is gracious and just. That he is forgiving and righteous. We must always remember those things. So look what he says next. He says, behold, the kindness and severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also, Gentiles, will be cut off. And they also, a reference to Jewish people, they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, that's an odd way to say it, isn't it? If they do not continue in their unbelief, I think I would say, if they start to believe. That's essentially what he's getting at here. If they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in. They will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. And the able there is not so much a statement about his, his ability or his power, but his willingness. You catch that? He cut them off from this tree. He cut them off from this tree. But if they don't continue in their unbelief, for which he cut them off of the tree, he is able to graft them in again. He is willing to graft them in again. And it's just going to get stronger because the text is going to say later on, he will. He will graft them in again if they do not continue in their unbelief. Read on. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a, a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own tree? Here it is. This is the promise and the hope for the Jew. That it is easier for the natural branches to be grafted back in than it was for wild branches to be grafted in. Right? In nature, that's easier. Like if I cut a branch off, remove it, and then immediately put it back on, should have had, I should have consulted you. I just realized this. should have consulted you in all of this. If I cut a branch off and immediately put it back on, that's going to work a lot easier than me cutting a branch off from this tree and getting a branch from that tree and putting it on. In other words, in other words, the work that God has done to bring Gentiles into the kingdom is harder than the work that he will do to bring Jews back into the kingdom. 
It's easier for him to bring them back than for him to bring us in. And notice that, it, that the issue is still faith. It's not about their lineage. It's because of faith. If they do not continue in their unbelief, but rather believe, then they will be grafted in again. And all of this, all of this is by his grace. All of this is undeserved. Do the branches that have been cut off deserve to be grafted back in? No, they don't. They deserve to be cut off. But by his grace, he will graft them in again if they do not continue in unbelief. Do the wild olives deserve to be grafted in? Absolutely not. But by his grace, he's chosen to graft them in through faith. So here's the warning. The natural branches were broken off. And if the natural branches were broken off, the grafted in branches can be broken off too. Don't think, don't think that if you continue in unbelief, that you remain part of the church. I'm not saying anyone can lose their salvation here, but I'm saying there will be some folks who are revealed to be counterfeits in this world. Through their continued unbelief, maybe they had a moment of faith, but through their continued unbelief, it will be evidence that they were never really grafted into the tree at all. The warning is the natural branches were broken off and the wild ones could be broken off too. And the promise is, since the wild branches were grafted in, the natural ones can be grafted in too. That's the bottom line of what we're talking about here. Here's the application. Number one, there is no room for anti-Semitism in the church. There is no room for racism or prejudice or bigotry of any sort in the church, especially, especially toward Jewish people. Like, it just doesn't make any sense at all. It is absolutely ridiculous for a person who claims to believe in a Jewish Bible and be saved by a Jewish Messiah to have some sort of arrogance or prejudice or pride against Jewish people. It doesn't make any sense. The Old Testament root, the Old Testament root, the Jewish root, is where we find all of our nourishment. If you are here today and you are disgusted by Jewish people, you have a hatred and an arrogance in your heart toward Jewish people, you must repent. You must repent. This doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work. And it may reveal that there is something broken in your heart, in your faith, something perverted. We should love them. The descendants of Abraham, we should love them and pray for them and look forward to the day when their unbelief ceases and they are grafted into the tree, and we live together for all of eternity, worshiping as a family the lamb who was slain. We long for that day, right? Oh, man, it's going to be good. Douglas Moo, a scholar, says, whatever its causes, anti-Semitism continues to be a problem in the church. We often treat it lightly, making Jewish jokes, calling people who are tight with their money Jews. When pressed, we will say that we don't mean anything by it, but we do. Whether we admit it or not, such ways of speaking foster prejudice in ourselves and pass it on to others. It has no place in the community with Jewish roots and in which all nations are to be welcomed and loved. I don't want to hear jokes like that around here. I don't want to hear name-calling like that around here. It just doesn't fit. Anywhere, especially here. Got it? So no anti-Semitism. No hatred of the Jews. If you're a believer in Christ, you just cannot stand that. Second application. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. It is clear here that salvation is by faith and that the continuing of faith, perseverance, endurance, whatever you want to call it, is the evidence of true salvation. 
evidence of true salvation is perseverance of the faith, not just momentary faith. Tim Keller says the point Paul is making is that faith is not presumption. Throughout Romans, his whole argument about the Jews is, though they were the chosen people, they began to think that they were the choice people. They became confident that they were in no matter how they lived, simply because they were Abraham's physical descendants. That is not the case. So now Paul says, don't fall into the same presumption. He exhorts them to continue in God's kindness. The only way we know that God's sovereign love is upon us is that we continue, we persevere in seeking to be like Jesus until the day we meet Jesus. If that continuing disappears, listen to this, if that continuing disappears, if we start to live for ourselves and live in sin or start to rely on our own performance for our relationship with God, then we will and should begin to wonder if this kindness is upon us at all, if we were ever chosen. He clarifies and says, there's no talk of losing salvation here, only the revelation of counterfeit. So don't make the same mistakes the Jews in the first century made. Keep the faith. The question today for all of us in this room is not, have you trusted in Jesus? Not, did you believe in Jesus? The question for every single one of us today is, are you trusting in Jesus? Are you believing in Jesus? Are you resting your whole weight on him for your salvation? That's what real faith looks like. I want to guard us against this. Oh, yeah, I did that way back then. Back when I was eight years old, trusted in Jesus. In fact, I read a story in our uh, Life University class last week about this guy who says, oh, yeah, I did that when I was a teenager. Trusted in Jesus when I was a teenager. And it was in a Baptist church that I did that, a Southern Baptist church. And, you know, they believe in once saved, always saved stuff. So I'll just live however I want now because I trusted in Jesus back then, really sincerely trusted in Jesus back then. I'm telling you, if, if you're not continuing in the faith, I don't think you have any reason to be confident that you'll go to heaven. If all you can do is look back and say, yep, there was a day when I trusted in Jesus, if that's all you've got, if you can't look at now and say, I am trusting in Jesus, I think your confidence about your relationship with God should be low. I'm not saying it's all performance oriented. I'm talking here about faith, about trusting in Jesus. Are you trusting in him today? Today. Keep the faith. Don't just have the faith. Don't just get the faith. Keep the faith. Persevere. Endure third application is hope for the Jews. If, rather, when, when they turn to Christ, when they cease their unbelief, they will be brought in. The rejection of Israel is not final. Final. It is not full. A better day is coming for them. And that better day for them is a better day for us. Remember last week, we saw that that day will be better for everyone. If, if in their rejection, good things came, how much greater will their inclusion be? And we will be part of that. Branches from different trees feeding off the same root. People from different tribes and tongues and nations singing praises to the same God. And the issue is faith. It's not origin. It's not nationality. It's not skin color. It's not socioeconomic status. It's faith. Are you trusting in Jesus? Let's stand together and pray.
I thank you for teaching us about these things, for letting us into your um, eternal, holy counsel. Uh, We want to respond rightly to these truths. We want to love and pray for the descendants of Abraham. God, I, I invite, we invite your Holy Spirit who convicts of sin to come and convict us of sin. If there is in us a hatred, a hostility, an arrogance, a pride, a boasting over the descendants of Abraham, I pray that you convict us of that, you break us of it, you humiliate us if necessary, you bring us to our knees to a point of confession and repentance. God, we know that there is no room for anti-Semitism or racism of any type amongst your people. And so we pray that you would break us of that. Teach us what repentance looks like. And God, we pray that you'll help us to see the truth about ourselves in this moment. To help us deal with the question of are we trusting in Jesus? Are we depending on Jesus? Are we resting our whole weight on Jesus for our salvation? God, I pray that our testimony will not be all past tense. That we will be continuing in the faith, continuing to trust in you, continuing to grow in Christ-likeness by your grace and through faith that these things will be the case. So help us to deal with that, really deal with it today. And God, we long for the day when the children of Abraham will cease their unbelief and you will, by your grace, through their faith in Jesus Christ, be grafted in, be grafted back into the tree long for that day when we stand hand in hand with them before the Lamb, sing His praises for all of eternity. God, we we know that that will come about and it will be for your glory. We pray that it will happen quickly, that it will happen today, that it will begin today for your glory. In Christ's name.